All right, good, uh, well, good evening everyone. How are we all today? And thank you very much for joining us. Um, tonight, uh, for the session of those that can do, um, we're joined by Kieran Nielsen, who's the Retail Sales Manager at Open Markets. Um, and Kieran has uh, been in the markets for over a decade as an equities and derivatives advisor, um, based at, he was at VFS in the Sydney Group, um, and he's been investing since a, it's a very young age and is a very, very active trader um, and runs some education programs over at Open Markets. I met Kieran at an ASX event, which he was speaking at, I think, about three years or so ago, some time ago, um, and I believe he took a little hiatus from uh, from financial markets for a, for a little period of time, and he's recently got back in there with some gusto, so joined Ivan's team over at Open Markets as well. So, Kieran, really good to have you. Thank you very much for taking the time for joining us this evening. Oh, thanks, gentlemen. And um, I've watched this, uh, this webcast before. Privileged to be in uh, the presence of such uh, an, an elite group. So, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Kieran, you've got to put up with me every day. day. <laughs> <laughs> I need to say that because I was actually my boss. So, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So, Kieran, you're careful, you know. Are you are you working from home at the moment, Kieran? Are you are you in a in am, office? Am, you're, you're based uh, on... Yeah, sorry, Pat, I, I am. I'm uh, working. I'm in Sydney, so I've still got a little bit of a thing called freedom in comparison to my uh, fellow Melbourne colleagues. Um, I've shifted my office up into the living room for the time being, or rather, uh, purpose of this presentation. So, thanks to love the artwork on the wall and the bright lights. It's a lot dingier in my day-to-day office, um, but anyway, here we are. Yeah, here you go. So, um, but I might get jump onto the disclaimer so I can get the before I forget. Uh, any advice contained tonight is general only. It doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances, and you need to decide for yourself whether it's appropriate for you. Past returns not an accurate indicator of future returns, uh, and trading is a risky business. Thus, you should be educated and uh, take every opportunity to learn um, from other people out there doing things. So. Um, that's that's what we're what, what tonight's session is about. We get a different range of people coming in uh, to this session. I'm actually going to be in a week or two running a slightly different format um, for a few weeks, uh, where we're going to have three traders on three weeks in a row, and each week the traders we're going to have one week we're going to have three people discuss how they pick direction. The next week three people discuss their trading plans, and it'll be three options traders. Um, and then the following we'll have. Um, uh, sorry, the second week will be about their, their favourite trading strategies and how they implement them. And the following week will be on psychology. So that's going to be coming up in about two weeks from now. We're just working on it in the background at the moment and um, the ASX have confirmed they're going to support the event and, uh, and put it out to their network. So it'll be something that we really want to do some good education around. So Kieran, we might get you back in involved in some of those sessions. So guys... Um, uh, I, Ivan, just click on to the next slide and I just, Kieran, you've been uh, trading and investing since you were 18 years old, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I, um, I had, a, uh, I suppose, a very lucky debut into my investing experience. Uh, my grandmother, God bless her, uh, passed away when I was 18 and um, I got given $5,000 as part of, uh, I guess, the inheritance that, you know, mum obviously managing risk in that sense, only giving me a, um, a relatively small amount. But um, uh, I, I started to take a bit of an interest in the share market through a gentleman that I was working at, at a cafe at the time while I was still studying. And um, I had $5,000 and I thought I could maybe go buy a nice new pair of shoes and the typical sort of stuff that 18-year-olds can't spend their money on. Um, or put it into this thing called the stock market, which I knew bugger all about, uh, but I knew that it was a way to make some money. So... I bought two stocks. I bought Paladin Resources, which was a uranium mining company at $2.20, and also Blue Scope Steel when it was trading at $7 before it had a share consolidation um, after it got absolutely thumped during the GFC. So um, the uh, Paladin Resources especially was, was, was the, the, the catalyst to me really uh, both giving the stock market a go, and it went from $2.20 to $10 and, and, and change in the space of a couple of years. Um, so I thought, great, you know, being a young lad, you see this happen, and, geez, it, it felt easy at the time, um, uh, which is all kinds of misleading. But having said that, it was a great introduction to the, the world of investing. 
you know, uh, I, I made a good bit of money and uh, that's what really started to, to drive me towards the market. And I, um, self-education is obviously a massive part in, in becoming uh, an investor or successful investor and trader. And I read a book called uh, The Art of Trading by Christopher Tate, which is one of uh, the first books yeah. I read. Um, gained a little bit of an insight into derivatives as well, some really basic stuff, but it just escalated from there. So um, 15, you know, 12 years later, I'm, I'm still in the markets and, and have been lucky enough to work in the industry as well. Yeah. And, and what do you trade these days on instruments? Yeah, so um, I, I was, when I started to work in the industry, I was born into the world of derivatives. So primarily options, exchange-traded options. Um, at, at VFS Group, the former, uh, my former employer, I was a partner at the firm as well. So uh, I was there since it started and, and uh, left uh, last year after after 10 years of, you know, there were four of us that started and grew into business of 20 plus. So I was, you know, reasonably successful. And we had uh, one of the re- one of the biggest retail uh, options books in, in, in the country at one stage uh, by volume. So the, the directors um, that, that started the business primarily, I worked under as a dealer's assistant at another broking firm, and, and which was, again, quite heavily involved with options. Um, and, you know, I did my ADA1 and ADA2 and got a field call and started trading with myself a little bit. And, um, yeah, I suppose I understood the, the, the mechanics of how they worked reasonably quickly because I was just immersed in the world of, of exchange traded options. So that, they've been a, a really big part of my, um, I suppose, investing trading career, if you will. Obviously, derivatives and, you know, once you sort of get a taste of these sort of things, you play around with pretty much anything. So uh, we, we used to have a really good relationship with the um, uh, team at uh, Citibank, so the, the, the warrants team there. So we traded all kinds of um, uh, warrants, instalment minis were probably my, my pick, given that you still get a, uh, you still get the dividend as well as the franking credits on instalment installment minis, they've got a stock-up feature which you need to be wary of, but um, those types of derivatives haven't had too much of a hand in Forex, to be honest. It's probably one of the, the, the main financial instruments that I've, um, uh, which is odd because it, it has the biggest leverage, which would probably attract me, but um, now I've, I've managed to steer a little bit clear of, of uh, Forex. I think, I think the rest has been enough for me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. And in terms of doing your analysis, on what, 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 on what basis and what data do you observe to make decisions? Yeah, sure. Um, primarily technical, to be honest, uh, Patrick. I, um, uh, given that the, the majority of the views that I take are relatively shorter term, so uh, technical analysis plays a fairly, a fairly pivotal role in that. Uh, that, that that's, that's primarily speaking about equity. So, you know, um, I, I tend to look mostly for breakout trades, so either coming out of consolidation or breaking in the horizontal or, or some other kind of resistance pattern. Um, ascending triangles and, and bullish pennants are something which has given you quite a bit of success in the past. So those types of, of formations, technical formations, are uh, primarily the, the, the types of setups that I, that, that I look for. And I mean, on, on that note, um, you know, I think it's super important that I mean, I have a trading plan, which I think is 101 when you are, um, you know, getting involved in investing in trading, to have an actual strategy in place and a, um, a trading plan as opposed to, you know, just picking something that you think may go up. Not always is the plan going to come to fruition, but having rules and a specific setup that you look for really does limit, you know, it, it just blocks out some of the noise. Um, and, and, and I find, for me, it has... Um, um, that, that's, that's helped a lot because there's so many different stocks and whatnot out there. Um, it's, it's, it's easy to get lost in all of, the, all of the talk that's going on out there and a lot of the noise. And I think that, you know, having a formulating a plan and actual trading strategy over time, um, you know, sticking to the actual risk, um, uh, risk management strategy around, primarily around exits, which I think the hardest part of time, you know, getting into a trade is one thing. I think getting out is even harder. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, having that sort of thing in place, I think, is uh, monumental to to developing consistency. You know, instead of trying to shoot the lights out every time, it's all about, um, the, in my opinion, you know, developing consistency and getting, you know, constant runs on the board. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and Ted, what do you have in your trading plan? Uh, so, well, as I said before, um, the, the, I only have a couple of setups that I look for, um, which are, are based on, on bullish patterns. So, um, um, I mean, there are some sort of oversold you know, indicators that, that I look at, um, such as the RSI and things like that, which will help me get a bit of a gauge when something may have run a bit too hard, a bit too soon. Uh, and that's when I probably, you know, uh, look at look at options, for example, uh, as opposed to trying to short stock as an, as a uh, preferred instrument. Um, but in the training plan um, for, for me, Patrick, it's, it's having just a, a number of setups which have worked well for me over time consistently and then having um, exit strategies around that. And as I said, that is by far the hardest part because um, I'll share an example with you. I, I, I broke my own rules uh, um, uh, last week on a uh, stock. So again, even after 15 odd years of trading, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning, you know. Um, and I had a, um, uh, I bought, excuse me, I bought Appen, which is uh, in the um, uh, artificial intelligence space. I bought them at around $22 or so when the COVID crash hit in March. And I uh, took a position that which initially was going to be a shorter term play. The stock just continued to run. So I had a trailing stop on it and just managed Managed the position, um, and it went up to forty-three dollars or so. And as a rule of thumb, as part of my trading plan, I won't hold a stock drop until going into a report if it's a short-term, if it's a short-term play. And I did, and Apple got slapped twenty-five percent or so within a couple of days after it, uh, after it reported. So, I mean, you know, the, the overall result for that trade is still up approximately seventy odd percent. But um, I would have been much better off by sticking to my guns and not holding through that report. Just I. I Took a bit of focus off, uh, off, off my own, um, off my own plan, and um, <laughs> as it tends to, it backfires on you when you don't stick to the rules. So, what's um, your main challenge when, when it comes to sticking to your rules and managing your psychology? Where, what, what trips you up? Yeah, um, I'm still trying to figure it out sometimes, to be honest, because there's. Um, uh, on the particular day, I, I set an alert and, and a reminder in my calendar for when Apple was, was, uh, was, was going to report. Funnily enough, I did a presentation and a webinar to our, um, our clients at, um, at OpenTrader on Apple and artificial intelligence. And um, I guess sort of piped it up a little bit to myself internally. You know, um, I, I was of the view that, that, the, um, that their, their speech division was, was going to yield better results than it did, and that was the biggest letdown. That's been one of the main driving forces for revenue for them. You know, they've got some great customers on their on their client base, Amazon, Microsoft, you know, some of these massive heavy-hitting names in the US. Their, their client base is fairly consolidated, although they've got multiple POs spread across all of them, so it's not like they're um, super condensed in, in, in that respect. It, it just makes it really hard for that client to leave as well, having multiple projects spread across very across many of them, but I think you know, looking back, and I did do some analysis. I guess more so on the on the psychology of where I was at um, when when I decided not to go ahead, and uh, just a complete lack of concentration, possibly a little bit of greed, to be honest. And I mean, you know, we all know, you know, everyone that trades, that's definitely one of the hardest emotions to contain um, and to um, and, and to manage. Um, and I uh, let it just slip through to the keeper, lesson learned. So, so it, 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 look it down to just a bad execution of your trading rules or it, it, you actually, um, yeah, you tripped up and, um, you know, got caught up in, 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 in you know, and I guess didn't pull the trigger. Yeah, look, I, I was definitely, uh, I was definitely distracted during the day, um, you, you know, with, 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 with other things and, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. I, I, I should have, uh, I, I should have managed it better, and um, I, I know better, which is probably the most frustrating thing. But um, yeah, look, I, 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 part of the reason why I probably had a bit of a lapse in concentration was because I was, you know, it, it's easy to do sometimes when you're looking at a stock you're running 150% profit on, or a position of, of, of any genre, um, you know, and you think, oh, you know, giving, giving a a um, giving ten percent back, it's not going to be the end of the world. It's easy to fall into that trap, but that's not that's not sticking to rules. That's just that's just being complacent. I think, um, and I, I think on on that day, um, and again, just say it's purely from from an educational perspective, not to 
make myself out like an oracle because we all make mistakes, you know. But um, I, yeah, I, I think that just, yeah, a bit of a lapse in, in concentration was the main reason for it then. Yep. And, um, Are there any, uh, any books that you've read? I mean, you've mentioned Sean Tate book. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken to uh, a few people that have read that book before. I mean, are there any other books that you've read that you think are good for people to read in terms of getting um, uh, some perspective on trading? Um, for, for, for trading, uh, I, I think just from a, uh, a psychological perspective and, and developing a really good mindset, I think is, is super important. And this may sound you know, sort of cliche and boring, but Rich, rich, uh, rich Dad, Poor Dad, and also Think and Grow Rich. I've read both of them. They're obviously two very mainstream books um, that a lot of people have read. Um, when I finished each of them, I... I, I um, felt like I took quite a bit out of them. Both of those books resonated with me from a, a psychological perspective when it comes to, you know, not just trading, but the mentality behind um, just setting yourself goals and being disciplined. So I, I would definitely recommend both of those two um, in, in, in that respect. And um, I think they're probably the three standouts for me, Patrick, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, in terms of um, traders that you know, successful traders that you know, what would you put down the key characteristics that they possess that makes them successful? Yeah, ice cold. <laughs> Absolutely ice cold. Um, just no emotion. Um, and, um, you know, and I've, uh, his name I won't mention, but a, uh, an advisor that I worked with, and he's also a full-time trader. It's effectively how he makes most of his money does exceptionally well, uh, primarily trading uh, CFDs on indices um, and things like that. And, um, uh, you know, he would come into the office one day and uh, I wouldn't hear it directly from him, but his sort of business partner, the advisor that he was teamed with, I guess, would, uh, you know, would say, you know, on, on the lunch break, um, you know, someone say had a, had a pretty rough night on markets last night and, you know, was, you know, down 20, 30 grand or whatever it may be. And conversing on the other side, you know, he'd say, oh, you know, he had a great night last night. He, you know, made $25,000, $30,000. Could not tell. You know, the way that God conducted himself and the way that he went about his business, um, just just, just focus and discipline, you know. It was it, it was more so about the consistency as opposed to a one-off, you know, shoot the lights out and win or a, um, you know, being the, feeling the wrath of what the market can can, can throw in your face yeah. sometimes. Um um, he, yeah, he just, a, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, if you, had, you wanted to finish what you were saying, sorry. That's all right. I was, you know, the, yeah, just the, um, the, the, the ability to, to, to control um, emotion, which um, takes so much practice and a lot of hard lessons, I, I think, is what really separates um, super elite traders to those that, um, you know, can still make good money in the market, but just having that that ability to control, uh, I think, is a um, uh, it's a super important and, and unique skill to have. Yeah, if you have a bad run on trades, how do you brush yourself down and pick yourself back up again? A bottle of wine helps. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, no, look, I mean. Um, I, at the end of the day, you just need to back yourself and trust that the, the system and strategy that you have in place is is um, you know is a is a long term solution to creating wealth. You know, I mean, I, I and, and and you know that strategy is not going to come overnight. It takes time to fine tune it and to mould it and develop it and, and this sort of thing. But once you find, as I've said before, I, I think the key is in consistency. So it's not so much, you know, finding the ability to pick a speculative stock that's going to go from two cents to seven cents and, you know, do that all the time. I think it's about consistent wins and have your limits, you know, what you're happy to, to, to take for a win and have your risk management in place and sticking to those parameters um, I think is, uh, is, is the most important thing. So if you have a, a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, I think it's just about backing yourself that, um, you know, that the system you have in place is working or if it's not, review it. You know, make changes. Have a look to see why it's not. Maybe go back to a, a, a demo account for a while if you need to. I mean, I, yep. I, I find that sometimes with, um, with utilising demo account, it can be a double-edged sword because you don't feel the emotion that you do when you're trading with your own money. 
Um, however, from a you know from a perspective where you're trying to fine tune strategy, again, it's about consistency and looking at at the numbers. So it can definitely help in that respect. But yeah, you just need to um, uh, just continue to work on the on the strategy. If something's gone terribly wrong, review it. Have a look at all the trades you've done for the month and find out why. What um, you know? What could you have done differently? Where did your emotion take control that you know uh, ended up being to your detriment, more or less? And and just you know consistently fine tuning it from there. Hey, Karen, you um, speak to a whole heap of different traders. Um, you have mentored a lot of traders, especially in your advisory days. Would you would you actually say to someone who just comes off a brutal run, uh, or you know, like they're, they're absolutely just getting smashed by the market. Um, you would have had a few a few stories like that, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely, Ivan. I can I'll share one with you, and it's um, it's a bit of a horror story. So for those that are are watching, um, uh, maybe take a note. But um, we had a, a an options trader who um, it was a, a lovely lovely guy. A trader just sold um, uh, sold strangles consistently on the XJO. So what that effectively means is that, say, the XJO, for those that, that don't know, is trading at 6,000 points. It's a sold call option and a sold put option both outside the money. So, you know, he'd be doing that maybe three or four months out um, and uh, probably at least or around 10% away from the, current, uh, from the current market price. And he'd been doing it consistently for several months. He'd be generating, you know, each time $20,000 in premium, um, and he, he, he did that consistently. So time would erode the value of the options. He'd buy them back for, you know, for less, and um, he'd be booking in profits um, quite consistently. Um, he he had a position on the XJO in the 2011 Great Debt Crisis when the XJO fell 15 um, odd percent within the blink of an eye, and uh, he got margin called uh, to the to the downside, and the puts blew out. Volatility spiked through the roof. You know, it was um, a pretty astronomical move in, in that respect. Uh, and he booked in, a, I think it was uh, close to, a, he, he, he had to close the position um, and um, uh, effectively booked in a $400,000 loss or thereabouts. Um, now he, and, and, and that was literally in the space of two, three days. The market tanked and it just continued to fall. So it fell, you know, 3%, 3%, 3%. All of a sudden, about the strike price in three days, vol's gone through the roof. And uh, next thing you know, um, you know, the, the money's being pulled out of your account to, to cover margin, given that the naked position, the loss is effectively unlimited. So um, yeah. he, had to, he had to cover that and, um, and had to close the, uh, the, the, the position. Um, there was, I mean, at that at that point in time, um, you, you know, I, I don't think it's about um, for me personally. And I had a really good relationship with that client. It wasn't it wasn't about mentoring as such and saying you know what you should be doing or should be doing. It was just literally about um, holding his hand and being uh, a moral support, which is um, an interesting position to be in as an advisor. You know, because you you, you kind of find yourself being somewhat of a um, a psychologist to an extent without, you know, obviously getting into getting into that too much. But, um, yeah, um, you know, he, he, he did continue to, to, to trade after that, albeit on a small level, because he was selling 20, you know, 20 calls, 20 puts, or thereabouts. So, you know, reasonable volume um, in that respect, you know, taking reasonable size positions or 30 or I don't remember off the top of my head exactly what the size of the position was, but um, a lot of risk, you know. And, um, you know, he, he, he did bounce back, and, and I think part of the reason, and he did rebuild, he continued to use the same strategy too. Um, Jeez, I was going to say, please tell me he decided to actually move from straddles to iron contours and just limit that uh, risk and, you know, leave Ren potentially. But. Yeah. Well, that, that would have been a great time. Time. <laughs> What was that, Pat? Sorry, so how did he go... If he was using the implied volatility trading platform, he would have seen the IV <laughs> rank and would have known just about when not to sell volatility. How's that for yeah. a shameless plug? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look. Um, um, 
not have been able to put that trade on. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's yeah. true. No, we, we, you would have you would have spoken to Tim. Tim would have set him straight and told him, "Mate, protection or uh, go to Comsec." Um, geez, I mean, you would have you would have heard some serious serious horror stories over your time, and, and obviously some great success stories. Um, conversely, when you've got someone who who is on a massive streak, do you have conversations with people to say, "Look, you you feel like you're invincible at the moment. You're bulletproof. You know, pull your head out of your ass." Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 I mean, look, it's a very fine line when doing that as an advisor too because, um, you know, to try and walk someone off the edge of a trade uh, when they're on a hot streak, um, you know, you can be the uh, turn into the, the enemy pretty quickly <laughs> to an extent, you know. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's more so just trying to be uh, the voice of reason and from a moral perspective too, moral and ethical perspective, you know, you, you, you really want your clients to succeed and you want them to do well and if they're... Mm. Um, you know, there, there have been times where, I mean, having said that, just because I don't think it's the right thing to do or it doesn't technically fit my profile doesn't mean that it's not going to eventuate. And in the event that I were to, you know, say, you know, Mr. Smith, you know, you, you've um, booked in several winners now, positions up, you know, a couple hundred percent or whatever it may be, maybe think about taking a little bit off the top, which are the conversations that you have with clients too, you know, because um, mm. being a... A, uh, an advisor, um, so it definitely it's definitely a double edged sword, um, and it's uh, yeah a, a very fine line to walk sometimes. But the, the relationship that I've always had with clients, we've always had the, the type of rapport where I, I, I can be open and honest with them in that respect. Not necessarily you know tell them what to do, but share a little bit of uh, you know be devil's advocate to some extent and say, well, on the other side of this trade, this is what could happen because right now you're so you know, I suppose the, the, the blinkers are on and uh, there's only upside from here, you know, from where you're sitting. So sometimes to share a little bit of light around, um, you know, alternative outcomes and scenarios uh, can help. Um, and, and I guess that's, that's, that's part, of being, part of being an advisor. Do you find that um, it impacts your trading? Because, um, like, I remember when I was, and I didn't do it for super long, but I, I did do... Um, I did, I, did, I did give advice um, uh, for a little while, mostly execution only, but, but um, mostly two instances. But I do remember that sometimes a big trader making decision would freak me out a little bit, and I think, oh, you know, this guy is going to be better, and I wouldn't stick to my rules. Do you, do you find that it's impacted you at all? Um, definitely with that sold strangle. Um, um, <laughs> that sort of strangle example, yeah, I, I can't say I've used that strategy since then. Um, <laughs> okay, that might so, be that might be a good learning uh, to, <laughs> from, yeah, yeah. from that. But yeah, never do that unless you want to give up everything in your life. Including, I mean, look, I, I think I, I think the biggest learning so I've heard uh, in that respect, Ivan, is um, from being an advisor, you know, and for clients that are self-directed. Um, you know, watching watching the um, watching them break rules. You know what what, what seem like rules. Um, you know, throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars into a speculative stock, for example, based on what Joe Blow said down at the pub. Um, you know that kind of thing. I think has um, has been a bit of an eye opener as to you know from from a risk management perspective, um, what to how to, sorry, you may be able to hear my, my dog barking in the background. I apologize for that. <laughs> I think he's, he's unhappy. He's like, what are you doing? You and your Tuesday webcasts and things. He doesn't like me <laughs> talking about bad option stories, mate. That's what it is. So, um, <laughs> like, go find some better yeah. stories. But yeah, it's, um, um, I mean, I, I haven't sort of, to, to be honest, other than that standout, but, um, I haven't had too many that have really thrown me off my, my game, so to speak. Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of uh, learnings in uh, in discipline from the likes of the advice that I worked with. I mentioned before, but they've probably been the biggest takeaways for me, as opposed to you know clients placing trades and um, you know what to do or what not to do. Um, you know, I've worked in primarily a, a retail environment, so you know the advice has more or less come from from us and and, uh, and the firm, as opposed to 
you know, them being um, self-directed. Erin, mm. um, do, you, do, you, know, do you trade um, iron? Sorry, I got a question in Ivan. I'm just wondering, do you trade iron condors, Kieran? I just had a question from Joe I thought I'd, I'd put to you. Is that a strategy that you've traded much? Yeah, yeah, I have, absolutely. Uh, yeah, both, both on uh, both on Aussie stocks and on US stocks. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, beautiful. I, I th- so Joe's asked the question, uh, if you trade nine condor and it moves against you immediately, putting you at max loss position, do you wait it out as you're already at max loss or is there another position you can take? How would you... How would you, what would you, what would you consider in, if you're in that position, Kieran? Sure. Um, well, if you're a max loss trade away, you're probably taking a pretty torch, a pretty short time frame on the trade. That you know, given that you've got a solid option, effectively time value would still be in play if you did get an immediate move against you to some extent. Um, I mean, you, you, I, I, depending on how far it's fallen, there's a number of variables there that, that, that I've made to factor in before making uh, making an exact decision, but. Um, if if I was going to use an iron condor as a strategy for one, I, I probably wouldn't be doing it you know, over a week or two week time frame. It'd probably be um, slightly longer, given the fact that you've got solid options and you want time to raise the value of those options. Uh, albeit that does, that doesn't happen in the last few weeks of, of a solid options lifetime. But um, yeah, it's uh, um, hard to just quantify that into one answer. There's a number of variables for, for me personally that I would I'll be looking at it. You know, an iron condor maybe six weeks out. If it moves, if it moves against you straight away, and uh, you're in max loss on the put spread, for example, if it if it if it sells, if it sells, if it goes down rather, um, you know, I'd be reluctant to. Depending on, on what your setup is, if you're using a full service broker or you're doing it yourself, if you close out the call spread, then you're going to pay, you know, I suppose relatively dearly in commission to, for letting that go. And if it's not worth much anyway. Um, uh, you're probably better off just letting it letting it run potentially at least, uh, depending also if you've got European-style options or American-style options, if you've got the risk of being early assigned on the sold leg of the um, of the put side of the condor. Um, you know, if... Uh, would, you, would you ever adjust your position, say if you entered into an iron condor? I mean, in the position, in the scenario Joe's put, it would be just a completely new trade um, because... You know, you're just taking a completely new new view. I would imagine if you're already at max loss. But would you ever like get into an iron condor, starts moving in one direction, breaks a key level, and maybe roll down the strikes, or will you just leave it there? What's your approach? Um, no, look, I've, I've I've done both before. To be honest with you, um, I have uh, changed the you know condor spreads and rolled the whole spread down depending on what the credit is. Um, only because the view is that stock, you know, it's, it's hit a level that I feel it could bounce back from, for example. But, geez, you need to have pretty high conviction to, to take that course of action. You know, when you're factoring the cost involved and uh, the premium needs to needs to be there, um, you know, that you're going to get. So, um, I mean, it is a strategy that, that, that you can, you know, it, it can be flexible. But there is room to, to adjust it. Um, I mean, having said that, um, I think if you start need to align for that course of action to to come to fruition for you to for you to adjust it, I'd, I'd probably be more inclined to, to look at the position and say, well, you know, I got into the position because I thought that you know my view was that X Y Z would unfold. That scenario didn't eventuate, then it very well may be you're on the wrong side of the trade. Uh, unfortunately, in that case, um, you know, to close it out and to recoup whatever time value is left in the spread that is uh, um, um, in, in trouble, so to speak. Um, you, you, you very well may just want to take that and move on to the next one. So it, I, I think there's a number of, of, of different things to look at there, but, um, you know, with an iron condor, I've I, I, I personally found that their success, uh, I mean, using that strategy on the XKO, for example, over the past couple of months would be fantastic. Um, given that it's been in such a tight trading range, you're just selling a call spread and a put spread within that range. You know, today could be a very telling sign how the XGO is going to pan out over the course of the next, you know, a few days at least. But um, given that it's on the verge of sort of breaking that support level, at twenty four ninety five dollars, you sitting there back to go on and roll. Gotta go, gotta go on a dip plug. 
the break of the moving average um, on the on the market and what happened today in the market. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll actually I'll hold my my view. Um, I'm happy to chime in, but that break of that moving average today, do you see that as a significant level or is it just this consolidation? It's like a, it's not, it hasn't really told us much yet. What's your view? You see it as telling? Look, I, um, it's funny you mentioned that because I knew I was going to get asked a similar question uh, on this on this webcast tonight about what my thoughts are on the market. Yesterday, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, my, my, uh, bias. My, my my boy my, my bias rather generally speaking um, is midterm bullish. I think that there's still more upside given given the accommodating uh, monetary and uh, fiscal policy that global central banks are are, um, are using at the moment. Having said that, obviously we all know the U.S. election is a massive catalyst for market volatility. Um, you know, yesterday I was thinking about coming with this webcast and being asked what I would say where the market's going to go and. My answer then was um, I think the next 5 to 7% move on the ASX is going to be to the downside, given that we've tried to break through that, that level of 60, 6150 or whatever it may be for a couple of months and just haven't quite gotten there. And uh, we had a similar kind of scenario um, a couple of years ago. Next day um, uh, came off on the back of that. So I, I, I'm still of the view that any um, any major dip, 5 or plus ten, you know, five to ten percent is a buying opportunity. Uh, I still think that the uh, uh, just accommodative stance from global central banks is still going to provide enough support for markets to continue to push higher. Uh, I mean, the S and P five hundred forward PE is is at the top end of the range, but you know, looking at interest rates, which are a massive dictator to where markets go, they're they're, they're going to be low for a long time. You know, there's massive deflationary pressure, obviously, off the back of COVID. And um, I think that's going to leave interest rates low for a long time, which is, you know, uh, super accommodated for, for, for equities at least. Um, so I, I think that, you know, some of these um, highly um, uh, volatile, and you know, stocks that have run exceptionally hard in Australia, uh, you know, we all know the afterpays and the zips and, you know, the buy now, pay later, the payment space. Uh, there was an announcement from PayPal last night which what's, sent those stocks down 10 plus percent that they're entering the buy now pay later space. So it, it's starting to become a little bit crowded, um, you know, even though some of these guys are making a bit of a footprint in the US. But Zip was down 12 percent today, Afterpay down 8 percent, EML was down 7 percent, Split Pay was down 7 percent. You know, all of those players uh, have, uh, have, have come off a bit. Uh, which is understandable considering they've run exceptionally hard. But um, I own Zip, so uh, I'm going to continue to hold it for the time being because I, I, I still do believe that uh, in comparison they've got a market cap of $3 billion and Afterpay is at 27 or so. Uh, I think the little brother of Afterpay can catch up a bit if they continue on uh, to execute their, their um, uh, you know, attack on the US market. But just from, a, I suppose, a bit more of a, a general view, um, you know, I, I do believe that the ASX is, is probably due for a, a little bit of a breather, uh, but in my opinion, I think that's going to be a, a, a buying opportunity purely off the back of, you know, the accommodative stance from uh, from global central banks. I saw uh, I saw some interesting posts yesterday on LinkedIn. I think it was for Zip about the the ridiculous. Uh, I was actually one of my Morgan's mates that that uh, that posted this, uh, which was. Uh, you know how much the how much the, um, uh, the subscribers have grown each year, and it's like this exponential growth. But uh, I, I I tell you, I'm going to give you a counterpoint to what you were saying. The way that I think that it's going to play out is uh, today there was a big sell-off, obviously in in the buy now pay later sector. Um, what I think is going to happen now is all of those guys, all of these brand new, we'll call them the Robin Hood traders that have been trading and buying up uh, the sector are going to sell the other stocks that are not doing well, buy it, worse yet potentially with CFDs and worse yet potentially with leverage uh, and get longer in the stock and the sector that they think is going to go up and they're going to get clobbered uh, with the professionals that have been sitting on the sidelines since, I don't know, April, uh, March, um, are going to absolutely destroy uh, every living soul that, that came into the market. Um, I think that's that's the trap 
that's what we're going to see in the next, uh, in the next couple of months. Quite a blurring myself there, I'll put it to you this way. I, uh, I, would be buy, I would not be buying your, your stocks, but, but you're, you're probably up a fair bit and you typically use Australian no, stocks, right? So. Well, 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 I mean, with, uh, I, I, um, yeah, I was looking at Afterpay and it was having 20% swings um, on a daily basis back at the, at the end of March, uh, start of March, uh, or, you know, through the sell-off. Um, and it was uh, a little bit too wild for me. I picked up zip at about three dollars or so, and and, uh, and and still hold it. Um, and I'm not taking a shorter term view on that, so I'm okay to ride out a, a, a bit of volatility on it. Um, you know, for the time being, I, I think that that just in comparison to afterpay, you know, a lot of people, uh, and rightly so, think that it is. Um, it's just the 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 valuation on the stock is out of control. Um, you know, the likes of Zip is, isn't quite on par with that. Whether that has more upside uh, in comparison, um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I'm, I'm okay to, you know, sit here and uh, and just hold it and wait for, um, you know, the, the numbers from the QuadPay acquisition that came out, they, they onboarded 100,000-odd clients to sign the month of July, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, um, into a, what, what about what, what about you know? Do you want to just completely? So you, you're you're effectively you're you're bullish zip. You're not so bullish on on after power, at least not as bullish. Maybe I'm you know a, how, a, how about a pair trade? How about a put option on on after pay and yeah. and hold your zip and that's your hedge. <laughs> well, well, um, look, I, I I think I think I think um, become an advisor. <laughs> I think the I think that the fact that Tencent took a stake in in, in Afterpay is um, uh, you know it, it does continue to provide quite a bit of positive sentiment um, in in that respect of them becoming more of a global player whether it's you know into China or the US or both um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go out and encourage anybody to necessarily buy zip at these levels uh, considering I hold it now. If I were to slap a label on it, I'd say it's a hold um, for, for me anyway, considering I bought at a substantially lower price. Um, mm. So, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to, 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 to let it unfold um, for a bit. You know, they've been uh, releasing reasonable announcements and uh, if you, 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 you look like you've, you've, you, your facial uh, expression has changed there, aren't they? Looking at the chart zip over the last two days or...? <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, I um, uh, we had uh, a lot of trading today. I don't know if you know, but but um, through throughout open markets, we had a whole heap of um, uh, trading in that sector today, which which caused us a whole heap of uh, CMM uh, headaches and, and and things we had to deal with. So I got to, I got to see the trading very closely today and, and the charts of, of all of that sector. Was there was there more buying interest or, or more seller interest? Uh, there's actually, generally speaking, we've had. So last week we had an interesting. So tomorrow um, on LinkedIn we, we release our weekly stats of the most bought and most sold stocks across open markets. Uh, last week, for the first time in a long time, we saw a massive sell down in Afterpay and the banks. Um, and yeah. the biggest buyers were actually um, by a big, big factor was was the AAA um, ETF, which is a cash ETF, which is interesting uh, to see yeah. um, that transition. I, 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 to me, I don't completely understand why you would go in and put in uh, money into into that ETF. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But um, in terms of um, you know, in terms of generally where, where the retail sector's been looking at the moment, it's been generally on the sell side. Uh, but we've seen some serious whipsaws. We've, we've got, um, much like you and I can have this debate for, for days on end, uh, you know, and ultimately one of us will be right or both of us will be wrong, uh, then uh, as, it, as it typically is with these uh, volatile stocks. Um, you know, the, the markets, our retail base have been relatively split, so lots, lots on the buy side and lots on the sell side. Um, be interesting to see how, how that report ends up tomorrow, um, taking into consideration today being the first day of the quarter. Uh, tomorrow, you know, we'll see what happens, follow through on US maybe. It's, you know, Afterpay is an interesting one because if, like, to get bullish now on it, it's at 84 bucks. 
and you'd need it to be, what, at about 95 to get bullish on it for a breakout of its recent its recent high. I mean, that's, that's crazy to even be talking about that. And that could happen by the time we're having our next session on Thursday, right? I, um, uh, and I, if I it does, today on it. It, it, consolidation now actually bodes really well for a trade on it, but you probably need some more consolidation for another another week before it would really start to well actually but you know but it to, but it has been the last four days it's come off a lot a long way yeah and, well and, that's and the interesting the, thing is that you know sorry can you go no no i was, I was just going to say the um i, I totally agree with you, patrick I, I think to 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 be buying um, a stock that is just at a ridiculous valuation um, up at these levels is um, uh, ballsy, to be honest. Um, ha- having said that, um, a lot of guys that I know that trade consistently have been saying that since 50 bucks. You know, so there's... It's, it's... I, I think the point I'd make out about it is that you can't buy it because you perceive it to be cheap. You have to buy it because it meets all your technical rules, right? Exactly. Cause, cause, you know, and... and and when something gets ahead of steam, um, the party can continue for a long time, um, uh, you know. So, you you know, but anyway, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. You have to be ballsy to trade it, just kind of. Um, but those that have been trading it have been crushing it for a long time. How it's going. All right. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple think, of questions uh, in here. But there's a couple of questions here. We are getting towards eight o'clock, so I wanted to say a couple of t- couple of things. So Kieran has joined um, Open Markets, Open Trader, and uh, for those of you that are equity traders, we are options traders at Implied Volatility, and we use the similar technology, which is built by Tradefloor. Um, and um, but on the Implied Volatility Rich Trading side, we're just focused on options. Um, the open trader guys, uh, equity guys, they do some uh, single-legged options, but they, their equities rates start from $5 a trade. So if um, if equities is your game and that's what you want to go after, open trader is who I would be sending you to and referring you to. And someone emailed me today, actually, uh, and I will forward them a link uh, because they're not trading options. They only want to trade equities. And I, I would always say, make your way over it's either a company that Ivan provides services to or it's his company There's basically would be where you get the best options prices in Australia. So um, I'd just go straight to the source, Open Trader. Um, he's undercutting everyone, which is great. It's good for the market, and, he, and they build great technology, in, in fact, outstanding technology to back that up. So um, I would uh, I, I'd go there. If you're interested in that, just type in uh, Trader, and I will organise to get, I'll get all those emails across to Kieran. If you've got follow-up questions for Kieran, as you leave tonight's session, there's a survey. Ask a question if you want it one-on-one or you want to talk to him. Just put it into that survey and I'll get all of that information across to him and Kieran will follow you up uh, and answer any questions. And so a few people Kieran, have put Kieran in the trader, I'll... I'll I was going to say, and Kieran also does run a fortnightly session where he does love to talk about the buy now pay later sector. So, uh, and a little bit more of a fundamental right. view. Uh, it is typically every second Tuesday, um, but uh, it turns out a bunch of our client base uh, tends to prefer uh, visit today. So, so we we might have to change yeah. it, Kieran. We might have to go to like Wednesdays or something. <laughs> Kieran, sorry to I'm not, just one thing, Kieran. Make sure uh, if you're writing on these topics, we can get them into the Reach um, publication as well. I'd be interested. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting hearing you through this. Uh, I think people will find uh, we'll take something out of this, and it's such a topic at the moment. A lot of people have got questions on. Um, a couple of questions for you on trading. Uh, oh, Mark, sorry, Mark, I missed your question there earlier. Mark had asked if you keep your options book mainly Deltra neutral most of the time. Kieran, um, is it something you consider your book and the Delta of your book? Well, uh, to to be completely honest, um, I, I have absolutely zero exposure to options at the moment. Um, I, I don't I don't have any any open uh, positions at all. I, I've purely been trading equities for other than the old speculative uh, speculative play. Um, I, I had a uh, just a, a pure uh, long call position on CSL a couple of weeks ago, um, and, uh, and I mean, and generally speaking. Karen. Um, 
Mark has, Mark has changed his line of question slightly to say, in general terms, do you have a view on it? Like when, you know, in the past, was it something that you considered? Did you run your book in that particular way? Um, not not necessarily as a rule of thumb, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, being, you know, as an advisor working on uh, being part of the investment committee um, and, and having a large exposure to options, you know, that, that, that is definitely something that we discuss. Is it something that we have implemented at all times? No, um, it, 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 it does vary. So um, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a two-sided answer. You know, there's, there have been times where that, that has been something that is, you know, been the, the, the main, um, I suppose, vocal point of the investment committee to, to look at things like that and our exposure to you know to portfolios and what what that essentially what that essentially looks like, but. Um, you know, being an advisor and working in a team, you know, the, the idea is to really bounce a lot of ideas off each other and to have a look at, at all parameters to do with portfolio management, um, including that. But it's, um, it, 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 it has changed. You know, we, we, we ran an MDA, a managed discretionary account, uh, for, um, you know, 100-plus clients. Um, you know, so those sort of things would definitely come into the conversation. But... It would it would uh, it would vary on a client on a client perspective. For me, trading myself, it's a bit different. Um, so yeah, I know it's a bit of a fluffy answer, Mark, and I apologise for that, but that's that's the best I can do on that front. So so it no, very, it is a very <laughs> question. <laughs> but but you can't I mean you can't you can't really do a a delta neutral book if if you if you've got a directional bias most of the time. So I mean unless you're actually purely trading vol. Um, so and of course. Uh, typically, well, actually, I'm just remembering sort of what, what VFS used to do and, and the way that, that, you know, for what we've been speaking about over the last, um, has it been, a, have you been working for us for over a month, I think, now? Have you crossed over the month? I have, I, I just, just crossed the, the four weeks. Just crossed it. Yeah. I keep, I keep getting this wrong from, from people. So, you know, I just, I made a comment today about someone who's working with us and uh, I just assume she's still working with us for about three weeks. Anyway, turns out it's seven weeks. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> whoops, sorry. Uh, so I think that um, overall, um, you know, we've, we've sort of, we've, we've spoken about. Um, uh, you missed one question. Uh, about, about directional trades, but yeah. Um, you're typically a directional type of guy. One yeah. day, mate, one day we'll be able to do more options through through open markets and we'll be along for that journey. <laughs> I'll, 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 just, I'll just reiterate that point, Ivan. You, you know, from a, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult when you're, when you're running uh, a book as opposed to, to trade it yourself. Uh, but, but again, as you said, if you're taking a directional stance, which is typically the top, the, the, the top strategies that we, um, you know, that we used to employ, uh, it's a bit hard to do that way. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, there was one other question I wanted to make sure. Kieran, oh, Mike I asked, do you do... You do cover calls, Kieran? Do you write cover calls? Uh, um, I, 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 I have in the past... Um, one, one particular, which is a variation of that, um, look, I, I think the cover call strategy can work exceptionally well, uh, you know, for a way to generate income, especially when it's such a low interest rate environment, not just from a, um, you know, a, an RBA cash perspective, but, you know, from now a yield perspective where, you know, typically the banks would be paying 5% plus, uh, fully franked, you know, that's now um, thrown out the window for the foreseeable future. Telstra maintain their dividend. They're throwing the whole box and dice at, um, you know, at getting their 5G network up and running and uh, a banking on, on that really succeeding to maintain their dividend. That was in their guidance from their recent report. You know, so you, 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 um, the, the cover call strategy in lieu of picking up uh, a yield from stocks, I think, is a reasonable alternative. Um, you know, having said that, I, I do still think that there are downside risks. So, um you know, perhaps even throwing your collar in there where you're buying and putting it and you're selling a call. I mean, what has worked really well in the past with that type of strategy is if you if you if you enter into that sort of strategy on something like a Telstra or one of the banks over seven or thirteen months, so you pick up either two or three mm -hmm. dividends, you've got downside risk, and the premium you bring in, the dividends that you bring in, typically offset the cost of the put option or, or not quite, but 
uh, and also the difference between where you enter the stock and where you sell the put. Now, I mean, you can have a you know, structured trade over a, a seven or 13 month period by buying a put, selling a call, and uh, entering into a high yield stock uh, that effectively, you know, risk can be under 1%, including costs, um, and the upside is uh, sometimes in excess of 10%. Um, you know, something like that, or a bit more set and forget sort of stuff has worked well in the past. It's just hard to find bang for your buck from a yield perspective at the moment, given that dividends are just so unpredictable. Uh, but to answer the question, I think, on, um, in, in, in summary, um, uh, the, the cover call strategy can be exceptionally good, and there's a number of stocks, you know, that, that you can still get reasonable um, a reasonable premium for um, that um, will, will be suitable for that strategy. So I, I, for those that do use it, you know, I, 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 I think that it's, it's warranted. And for those that are wanting to learn more about it, I think you should. Uh, in this kind of environment, I think it's a great way to substitute income. Uh, a couple more questions. Uh, Fazad asks, have you gotten a platform so we can learn straight from scratch? Yes, so that's both implied volatility and uh, Open Trader both have those features. If you want to learn to trade options, implied volatility. If you want to trade equities, um, you can do it through implied volatility or Open Trader. Same simulated engine behind it. Um, uh, obviously, one's catered towards equities, one towards options. Uh, if you obviously don't have an implied volatility account, uh, now is the best time to get it. Uh, the market is going, becoming interesting again. My put options, I will talk about them on Thursday, Patrick. Um, what have we got else? Uh, how do you determine your position size? Do you use a flat percentage of your account to balance every trade? Asked Declan. Sorry, I didn't catch the start of that. I'm going to say again. How, how do you determine your position sizes? Yeah, uh, um, I, I think position sizing uh, for me is more so based on, uh, on on how much I'm willing to risk. So, um, uh, for example, if I'm willing to risk 10% on a trade, uh, let's say theoretically you've got a $100,000 account, and I'm willing to risk 10% on the trade, then I'll take the $10,000 position, um, you know, which is, um, you know, I, I typically really don't want to risk it, it any more than that unless it's a super super uh, volatile stock that I'm, I'm happy to give a little bit more leeway to, but... Um, again, that, that, that doesn't really fit my my, um, my, my strategy too much. So um, as a rule of thumb for me, you, you know, around 10% for, uh, for the risk um, is essentially what I, what I look to target on an equities trade. Uh, and, you know, you can base your, uh, your exposure off that. So, you know, yeah. if you're taking a – it depends on the, on the size of the account. But as a, as a you know, risk management practice – um, something like that, having a trailing 10% stop or thereabouts is, um, you know, you can base your position sizing off that. Um, so, yeah. uh, I mean, having, having said that, there are you know, small speculative stocks that I've traded before and, and uh, I'm really looking for a two to three day move um, and I, I don't have a stop loss in place. You know, I, I watch it like a hawk day in, day out and I'm looking mm. for a short move to the upside typically, um, given that my bias is, is, uh, is, is definitely um, uh, more of a bullish trader than a, uh, than a bearish one. Um, you know, watching those, and if I get into a position where I enter it and it rallies 5% five, 5 on day one and then it retracts 5%, um, I'll, I'll typically exit because my, um, my strategy is to, to, to not... If I get into a position and it doesn't go the way that I want, and it retraces on me, it retraces on me, then I'll, I'll exit because my view was incorrect. Um, and I just yeah. want to uh, at least break even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, last question for you before we let everybody go who uh, who is uh, – actually, I think we've still got everybody, which is which is amazing. Um, what uh, is your view on Santos? Uh, John traded in November at the money, 550 call option, uh, and was for $0.30, cents, was this – Reasonable premium. Uh, look, I I I, I didn't look at uh, options on Santos at, at, at that time from a bit more of a macro perspective on on the sector. I guess is where I could possibly add some value to that question. Um, you know, given that we are in a, uh, a, a again a super deflationary environment that goes into the price of oil and 
you know, a number of other key commodities. Um, I think it's going to be a bit of a slow grind on the way back up for some of these sort of stocks. But, you know, the um, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're nearing a, a bottom uh, globally for um, economic downturn. You know, there's so much rhetoric around a, um, a, a vaccine. You know, AstraZeneca have partnered with Oxford University. They're already starting to manufacture it. The Russians are already giving it out to people. So, um, you know, there's, there, there are... The Russians were giving it out before uh, before COVID was a thing. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, look, I haven't offered me some last Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just like, you know, this is just pretty much, you know, it's like crack cocaine for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, um, I, I, I think that there's, um, I think it's going to take a bit to really get the oil sector going again, uh, in, in my view, and, um, having said that, if, if, you, if you're okay, I mean, trading options, uh, especially bought call options, um, for one, if you're going to take a longer-term view, you, you know, you, you're going to pay a lot of premium for it. I think if you're taking a longer-term view on a stock like that, uh, my preference would be to utilise equities, to be honest, um, or, or at least a call spread, uh, possibly a calendar spread where you buy a long-dated call and you sell shorter-dated calls against it to over time offset the cost of the, of the um the call, something like that could work reasonably well. Uh, a straight call option, if it's a, a, over a shorter period, uh, my, my personal preference would, would, would probably be not, not to enter into such a trade, purely because my view on the oil sector um, is uh, a little bit stagnant um, at the moment, and I, I, I feel that it's going to take uh, a bit more economic recovery to see that, to see that increase. There's and it's not that there's a, a, a an oversupply at this stage by any stretch of the imagination. You know, there's less cars on the road. There's um, uh, less, you know, just um, mining and you know other sort of activities that, that tend to utilise that commodity quite consistently going on. And I think that's a very well, very well may stay the case until we get more insight into how some of these you know vaccines are progressing. So. Uh, and just interestingly, I'll just just a quick one. So just Santos, the IV rank on that is thirteen, which means that it's still uh, a good time to look at buying options, uh, and that's on the back of uh, you know three what three point seven percent drop today. Uh, vols uh, vols pretty cheap at the moment still. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see that. I'll just quickly bring it up. Uh, so that's that's a vol thirteen. Uh, vols really come off. Um, We've had a bit of a spike today, but I mean, you're looking <laughs> good old March. How's good? How good is that for our and condors and and soul trades? One hundred and forty percent vol on Santos. That's brilliant. Um, but anyway, the, interesting. The, interesting. The, the thing about vol uh, in that respect is it can stay substantially low for a long period of time. You know, there's um, there, it, there to, to be some catalyst. Uh, well, there needs to be a catalyst to see mm. a bit of a spike in that. So. I mean, you know, looking at the S&P 500 uh, last year or the year before, we just had that massive bullish run. It was, you know, 11 or, or, or sub-11, or, or the VIX rather, um, not necessarily the uh, vol on the S&P, but, or the, you know, the, the VIX index was substantially low for a long period of time. Um, it's yeah, taken press for months. And, I mean, if you were to be a constant, if you were to be a constant buyer of vol in that environment, uh, you would have gotten skinned for several months. Um, you know, yeah. ideally, when you massive spike that much, then um, you very well may have made you know most of or some of that back. But uh, geez, you need to be really, really have a strong conviction in, in that view to constantly be buying vol. Um, and I mean, look, the the the, the depressed vol level probably went on for longer than I thought it would. But um, at the end of the day, that's that's what vol can do. So. I, I think we, your trader um, uh, that you were talking about learned a lot about how vol can spike and quickly, um, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah and yeah. absolutely. And these are the kind of things as an advisor that you do point out, um, you know, to some of your your, your really good, or not just to some of your clients, to, to, to anybody who's looking to enter into that strategy. As I've said before, to try and be the voice of reason or devil advocate a little bit, point out some of those things that maybe blink it out because they've had such success consistently over strategy, but then if you look at, you know, statistically how often both spikes and to what level, if you're constantly utilising the strategy where it's, 
um, you know, the, the, the probability is, is, is going against you more and more over time. You're constantly selling it in a low volume environment. When it spikes, geez, you feel the wrath of that. And uh, as I said in that example, um, that, that gentleman sadly did. So. It's interesting. Uh, we, we, I always ask the, um, uh, the ASX every time we see them, you know, is what, what, what's, what the skew was, long vol, short vol, and generally when volatility is really low, everyone's selling. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, it, it, you know, when it consolidates over a period of time, people just get stuck into that. There's nothing else to do. We may as well sell. Um, it, just seems, yeah. it just seems like money, you know, because they've probably done it a couple of times in the past and it's just, you know, even on a monthly basis, falls low and can't really see a catalyst and then, bang, some kind of black swan event is absolutely... It's almost like buying the, uh, the BNPL stocks. <laughs> I'm not, hey, look, I'm not saying go out there and buy them. I'm, <laughs> I'm mentioning them because they're such a hot topic and everybody can relate to them. So... I feel for the purpose of, you know, those that attended, uh, attended this webcast, um, you know, something to think about because uh, a lot of people probably do already own them or have had yeah, exposure yeah. to them. So, yeah. you know, a, a bit of insight into that topic uh, uh, I, I hope has been informative. I think I think so. And, yes, yeah, so just quickly, so um, is that they're, they're every second Tuesday at the moment, but they will move to a different date, which we will agree tomorrow, Kieran, so that we don't have to buy heads. Uh, but you do talk, you run a session uh, effectively, which is in line with all of the updates that we do, uh, which Patrick, speaking of which, all these updates are coming into our uh, implied volatility platform as well. So we need to, um, uh, we, we've had a lot of call updates, which we do need to probably do a special webcast on that for our implied volatility as well, because there's some cool stuff there. Um, but yep, so if you guys want to do that uh, or check it out, Trader, uh, uh, type in Trader in the chat. Um, Hippie already said yes. Uh, so we'll contact, well, Kieran will contact you tomorrow because uh, he hasn't been busy enough the last couple of weeks. Um, so much, I, I feel so I feel so bad. I'm, I feel like it's because of me that you've missed, uh, you, you've missed some of those, uh, some of that trading opportunity to, to get out. Um, I, got, I got you, I got you uh, quite, quite busy with all the different things that we've got. Um, I also right now uh, need to go and watch my beloved Essendon uh, play, uh, see if uh, uh, watch them probably get absolutely thumbed by uh, by the West Coast Eagles. Uh, so um, you know, it, Tuesday night football during coronaviruses. What else are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck. I, I feel like you know up to my comments about crack cocaine, Essendon bombers. I mean, people are going to make judgments about me. <laughs> Those judgments have already been well made and well founded, probably. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Perfect, mate. Good, uh, good. Ivan, I'll speak to you uh, probably tomorrow. I'll give you a buzz, Kieran. Uh, thanks, great job, mate. Uh, much appreciated. Um, and as Ivan mentioned earlier, if you want to get um, more information about Open Trader, uh, their incredibly cheap trading, amazing technology. Just write trader into the chat box. If you've got any questions for Kieran and you want him to follow up with you, put it into the um, on your way out of uh, this. There's a survey. If you complete that, we'll pass that information back. And uh, other than that, thank you to everyone for taking the time tonight. We'll be back next week. And um, yeah, until then, cheers, guys. See ya. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks.